We're starting a relationship series today, uh, and what's a little bit unique about this one is that most times when we start a series, and by series I mean there's a sequence of sermons that we go through that are all uh, related in, in some way, shape, or form. And as we go through different series, there are oftentimes we have something that we think would be a, a good thing to talk about, or an idea, or a section of scripture. And this was a poll that we did that just basically said, hey, what do you want to hear about? And the majority of the responses were something in the neighborhood of relationships. And so then the next obvious question is, so what do you want to know? Um, and as we started to ask those questions, essentially what we gathered together uh, was a series of ideas, um, a series of topics that had to do with relationships, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're engaged, whether you're married, newly married, or been married since Christ was a corporal, right? There, there are all kinds of relationships that happen. Um, and so what we wanted to do was to talk about those. Now, kind of a fun, uh, random thing that we're doing, we're actually piloting this, so we love to try new things and see if it works. Um, we are, for the first time, releasing a midweek podcast because what we're going to do is over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four different relationship principles that I think no matter who you are, where you are, where, where you are in relationship, in fact, for most of us, you don't even really have to be a Christian to think that this is some valuable information, depending on where you are on the faith map, but... Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the macro principles here on Sunday morning, but then many of you have questions about relationships and whether it's, you know, what do I do or what should I think or whatever the question is, um, we're going to have a midweek podcast that we're going to, you know, maybe like five to eight minute question and answers. We're going to have all of that on uh, Instagram where you can type in your questions or Facebook or whatever social media stuff that you have. Um, we're calling it because, right, no one wants to actually ask the question, so you're asking for a friend. Um, so we're calling the podcast Asking for a Friend, Okay. <laughs> And so you don't have to even talk about yourself. I got this friend, Karen, and, you know, know, freaking Karen. Um, As we started to talk about the relationships and and really look into it, one of the things that was fascinating was over and over, um, people date, right, get engaged, and then get married. And marriage is probably the biggest decision that anyone will make. And the reason I think that is because many of us can decide what to do. You decide what you want to study, and then you decide the career path, and you decide a city to live in. And you make a sequence of decisions that affect a lot of things in life. But when it comes to marriage, one of the interesting things is you can't change it really easy. You can change career paths. You can change major. In fact, some of you, you know, parents in here, you know, your kid has changed major like five different times. And you're like, 10 years later, you might graduate college. But you can change those things. When it comes to relationships, the more time that you have invested, the more, the farther you are along, the more committed you are. It's just so complex to do anything different. And for those of you who believe in the Bible, believe in Jesus, then there's actually... More than that, there's a spiritual undertone to it. But the problem is, you can spend your entire young adult life learning a vocation. But when it comes to marriage, there is very little information on the grid, the, the grid or the lens to view. How should I decide? How should I determine? And then how should I act? And for most of us, what we know about marriage is what's been exampled for us. For some of us, It was good. For some of us, it was bad. But for most of us, it's this mix. There's some good and there's some bad pieces to it. And and, and here's the things that that you know. Just like my man Colton on the screen, the beginning of a relationship is so emotional. You got all these, you know, 
I like you. Do you like me? You know, should I ask her? You know, and you, you develop in the courage and your friend's like, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And, and, um, and, and depending on you know, the era that you grew up in, so you went across, you walked across the room and you introduced yourself or, or, you know, now you texted her or you swiped, you know, which that's a difference. I remember for a different day. I, I wish somebody would swipe on my daughter. Anyway, I got your parents. Don't worry. But the truth is, is we all start with this, this highly emotional, you know, first few months. And, and what happens with that emotion and whether, whether we actually identify this or not is our emotions begin to develop an expectation. We have expectations of where we want this relationship or where we want ultimately our marriage relationship or romantic relationships to go. We've got destinations, and, and some of them are, are, are kind of surface level, right? There's the what car I want to drive someday, what house kind of house I want to live in, how many kids we want to have, and then there's, there's ones that are a little bit more complex. How much intimacy we want to have, what kind of communication we want to have. We want to be lifelong friends. You know, the, um, the, the classic example is you see this, you know, really, you know, the, kind of this elderly couple in there. And they're walking down the street and they're holding hands and, and all the girls go, oh, you know, I want that. <laughs> all the guys are like, yeah, I guess, you know, <laughs> I like the car that he's driving though, you know, it's this. <laughs> but we all have, we all have, for us, you might not have said it this way, we all have relationship destinations. We all have ideas. We all have expectations of where we would like to ultimately end up. But here's what we know. Many marriages, in fact, most marriages don't end up there. You know the statistics, right? Roughly 50% of all marriages, 50% of the people that walk down the aisle end in divorce. In fact, that might be your story, is that you walked down the aisle and and you said, I did, or I do. (laughs) Ooh, conviction. That's not what I meant to say. But then something happened. You had an expectation. You had an expectation based on this this idea. But there was a gap between what your expectation was and what you experienced. And it caused conflict. And it caused turmoil. In fact, one of the the more interesting things that's happened, Psychology Today uh, released uh, a compilation article that talked about marriage. And they essentially said, of all the people who are married, only about 18% are truly happy and content with their spouse. And maybe that statistic is, you know, a little bit this way or a little bit that way, but, but here's what that means. Is that on average, out of 100 people that walk down the aisle, now that's, by the way, 18% of the people who stay married, which means that of all the people who walk down that aisle, you've got about a net 9% chance of walking down. And let's be honest, there's very little information on how to do it well. And I am not God's gift to marriage, okay? My wife will tell you that. <laughs> so what's been fun about this is to go and say, okay, look, there's tons of talks, tons of conversation, tons of literature about relationships and marriage. And so what are the things that as we look through the scripture, we see God saying, yes, 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 that is right. So today, we're going to talk about our first principle. And I'm going to tell you the principle, and it's not going to seem that like mind-blowing. You're not going to say, wow, this changed my marriage, but I think it has the absolute power to. So let me, let me tell you what it is. Your direction ultimately determines your destination. Your direction, my direction, our direction ultimately determines 
our destination. And let me tease it out a little bit. Your direction, not your intention, not your emotion, and not your expectation determines your destination. In other words, we all have this similar tendency. That we start heading down a path, we start heading down a direction, and somewhere in that direction, we do things that would take us to a different destination. We have communication habits. We're all on a path. We have communication habits. And we think that just because we deal with communication this way, it's not going to lead us to a destination that we don't want to get to. We have financial paths. We have um, intimacy paths. We have purity paths. We have all kinds of paths that we're all on. Whether you're single, dating, engaged, married, or been married for a long time, we are all on paths. And what happens is we know this intuitively, geographically, right? If any of us, you're headed home, let's say you live in Jacksonville, Shouts out to the Jaguars and Jalen Ramsey and Tobin Smith. But let's say, let's say you know, you're, going to, you're, going to go, you're going to go up in row and you're going to get on I-10. Now, what you and I both know is that if you go towards or you're hoping to get to Jacksonville, and before you leave, you, know, you get the family together and everybody prays, and you say, God, give us you know, safe travels, you know, travel mercies if you're real spiritual, a hedge of protection, you know, which I'm always like, how did hedges protect anybody? But I digress. <laughs> You know, God, you know, you take us there, and maybe you went like Old Testament. You know, we're going to get in sackcloth and ash and just, you know, and in mourning. And God, please deliver us to Jacksonville. And if you head west on I-10 towards California, unless God does something, some extraordinary miracle, right, you're going to hit California eventually, not Jacksonville. And what's interesting, and what we're going to discover or, or unpack today is that for many of us, In fact, I would say this, for all of us, there is at least one area that we are headed down relationally, that we're on a path that does not lead us to the ultimate destination. In fact, besides, you know, marital happiness and all that, isn't this true? The primary metaphor that Jesus uses to talk about his relationship with the church is marriage. And how many of us would God look at, or how many of us would would, would people look at And they would see our marriage, and they'd say, man, that reminds me of Christ in the church. How many people get more bold in their faith, get more daring in their faith as they head down relational paths? Now, so what I want to do today is to unpack some of that. Now, thankfully, we're not the first people to make this mistake In fact, there was a guy in the Old Testament named Solomon. And if you're familiar with Solomon, then you know who he is. But let me catch anybody who's not super Bible fluent up to who Solomon is. There was a king. His name was King David. King David, you've probably heard of because David and Goliath. And and David became the king of the nation of Israel. So David had a son, and one of his sons' name was Solomon. Now, David, extraordinary king, extraordinary wealth, extraordinary power, all this stuff— When he dies, his son Solomon takes over. Solomon is young. He was a young man as he took over the kingdom. So Solomon, dreaming in the overwhelmed, in today's lexicon, Solomon felt basically anxious. And so Solomon has a dream, and in the dream, God comes to Solomon, and God says to Solomon, Solomon, you know, anything that you want, I'll give to you. What do you want? And all Solomon says is, I simply want wisdom to govern well. I only, I I just, would you please give me wisdom because I feel so inadequate for this task. God says, because you didn't ask for wisdom, or because you didn't ask for wealth, power, 
or political prowess. I'm going to give it all to you. And Solomon was one of the wisest men, wisest people, sans Jesus in the history of planet Earth. In fact, Solomon was so wise, kings and leaders from other countries and other nations would come from hundreds of miles in a time where they did not have cars to hear Solomon talk. And Solomon pins the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Proverbs, he captures this story. It's almost like he's kind of on the, in a tower watching this transaction, this thing happen as we unpack this idea of the principle of the path. If you've got your Bible, you can flip open. Proverbs chapter 7. If not, we're going to have it on the screen. This is what he says. Verse 6. He says, For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, which would be the common folk for them, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, which we would say, isn't that like all young men, you know, lacking sense? So you just saw A? Okay, cool. He continues, says, passing along the street corner, or passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And you can kind of see where this is starting to go. Solomon's saying, I was, I was watching this guy. Watch the path that he was headed down. He goes out. It's about this time of day, this time of night. And, and, and you probably all know uh, at least a roundabout way where, where this is headed. <clears throat> you, you know why? Because we've seen this path before. We've seen this play out before. We've seen where this is headed, so he continues on. And he says, and behold, the woman meets him. Dressed as a, all right, earmuffs, okay, prostitute. Okay, so anybody, you know, under the age of 15. Wily of heart, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. That's a really nice way for the Bible to say she's not of the greatest moral integrity. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. <clears throat> what a pickup line, you know? <laughs> the guy's sitting there walking, she's like, oh, I offered my sacrifices, and I paid my vows. Wow, you know, I'm just so seduced. But here's what that meant, and this is, frankly, this is not too different than how some of us view God. They had this idea that, essentially, if your life, you had a bucket and sin would go into your bucket, and you'd make mistakes, and you'd sin, and you'd sin, and you'd do stuff intentionally. And from time to time, right, they would feel bad about it. There would be the sense of conviction about it. There would be the sense of whatever. And so then they would think that I'm going to go to church, or I'm going to go to temple, and I'm going to offer some sacrifices. I'm going to make some vows. I'm going to offer some sacrifices and say some stuff to God. I'm basically going to pour out all my sin. So now I can start, and I can refill the bucket again. And essentially... The dynamic between us and God is a act pretty good, act pretty good, but at some point when that bucket kind of gets full, you just kind of go do something for God, attend a church service, and God's happy with you until you get to that point again. But what, what we know is the opposite. In fact, essentially what the gospel is, is this realization that none of us are good enough. We talk about this often at our church. The understanding is, is not that you're an awful person or I'm an awful person. It's that we all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. 
And that's not an individually condemning on you, although we do all individually stand condemned. But that God never expected us to earn our way into his good graces. That he knew we couldn't. And that's why he sent his son Jesus. Because for us to be right with God, there had to be a payment. Similar to if, if I get pulled over going down I-10 on my way to California while I'm trying to get to Jacksonville and I get a speeding ticket, my license isn't going to be in good standing until I pay that fine. The problem is we couldn't pay the fine because God's holiness is too great and our sinfulness is too much. And he knew that. He sent his son to die so that we could be united and compatible with him. So she grabs him by the, you know, the the face or grabs my cloak, she kisses them, and I've poured out, you know, and the implications is I've, I've poured out all my sin, and now I'm ready to refill my bucket. Now, this is, if you are a young man, your dream scenario, right? You're walking down, and there's this, you know, this girl, and she's, you know, cute and cool and whatever, and then she's kind of been waiting for you, and then she just, she, she grabs you and she kisses you. Now, if you're a Christian, that's not your dream, but let's just say, you know, go with me, pretend like you're sinful, okay? Um, <laughs> This is so important because the the pull that that has for us, in fact, no matter who you are, it makes you feel important. It makes you feel valuable. It makes you feel like you are somebody worth desiring. We talked about this in a couple weeks. This is actually why at the beginning of relationships, there's this euphoric feeling because when we first start dating, I don't... I don't just like you. I like how you make me feel for choosing me. About five or six months in, that that feeling kind of fades away. And now that value that I felt normalizes. (laughs) And now I'm not dating how you make me feel. I'm just dating you. And so he feels this sense of, of, of greatness, and she just kind of doubles down on this idea So now I I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Verse 16, I have spread my couch with coverings, covered linens from Egyptian linen. She went to Bed Bath & Beyond. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon, which I know you guys are like, oh my gosh, she spread out cinnamon? How cool is that? Continues. So come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come on over. And my husband's gone, and he ain't coming back for a while. Now, depending, if this were like a movie, right, in a narrative form, we would have different soundtracks playing in our life, you know, to different Times, you know, a little bit older, you know, born to be wild. You know, it's, it's what's going on with these guys. Or you got some dire straits, you know, money for nothing. Or when I get that feeling, I need. So there's this kind of narrative that's playing in the, in the back of probably this guy's mind. And what's interesting is what this youth saw as just an event. What Solomon sees is a path. And he feels great, man, I was just, you know, if he was telling this to his friends, I was just walking down this path, and there was this girl, and she said this stuff, and, and man, this was, but Paul Solomon said, no, 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 I saw this from the beginning. And, and here's why that's important. For most of us, if we were to be honest with ourselves, again, there are paths that we're headed on that don't take us to the direction we ultimately desire to be at, but the difference is 
When it's us, we don't see a path. We see an event. And events can be explained away. When I, when I think back about, you know, this, this, this trajectory of my life, and I think about this event, and I think about that, and you can see it in history. You can see where that led to that led to that. And for some of us, you know, you can see it in other people really well. But in the current state, it's really difficult to see. This is why for everybody who's dating, you're dating a guy, and all your friends say he's a jerk. Your parents say he's a jerk. And you say he's different. You know, he's misunderstood. <laughs> no, he's not. You just haven't understood it yet, okay? And you say, you should, let me just tell you, you should break up with him. If people say that, you just, just, yeah, parents are like, see, Karen, I'm telling you. But come on, isn't this true? You have seen, your friend finally came to the understanding, the awareness, the realization. You have maybe your married and a married friend finally came to the, the realness and the, and the, and the understanding. You, you told them why they were dating and they said, no, they're different, no, they're different. Then they got married, no, they're different, no, they're different. And they started to come to the, um, to, to the realization and they thought you know, maybe there are some problems. And, and this happens, this is so silly. But they thought, there's some problems. I know it's going to fix our problems. Kids, <laughs> right, like that made everything better. And so they continue on. And I'm, I'm telling you, it happens. It, 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 you know, it happens to each one of us. It is so difficult to see our events as paths because we feel like the exception. In fact, I would say this is one of the biggest differences between kids and parents. Isn't this true? Parents parent from the perspective of the path. Kids live in the event. And I don't say kids as in like, you know, you're... I'm, I'm, my, my parent, I'm 35, my dad's, you know, Moses. You know, he... Just kidding. Oh, wonderful, I love him. He would say this still about me probably. I was talking to... I used to be in youth ministry, and I was talking to a parent one time whose, whose daughter had just... Um, just snuck out of the house, and a, a boy picked her up, and they went to Waffle House. And for her, it was like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we just went to Waffle House. And they're sitting there saying, okay, well, you know, you're our daughter, and you climbed out of the window, and you went down. You got in his Jeep, which, like, don't ever date anybody that drives a Jeep. They're a sleazeball, you know. And <laughs> they go to Waffle House, and, and the parents are talking to me. I mean, they are, they are so, so distraught about this. And so they start telling me more about it. The daughter was saying, I don't, why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal? And the, and the parents say, look, you switched schools or you went to the next school. And when you went to the next school, you found a new group of friends. And those group of friends aren't as good as the old group of friends in terms of influence. Your grades have started to skip a little bit. Your attendance has started to slip a little bit. Those activities that you used to love and be involved in, now you're not really involved with anymore. And they see path, path, path. And as a parent, you say, and I've seen where this is headed, and you see an event, and you feel like I'm overreacting, but this is a path, and I have friends who have been down that path, and I love you too much to not say something. So Solomon looks at this and says, yeah, it's this guy, and he's headed down this path, and his path is headed to a destination. And though he thinks it's fantastic, someone says, let me tell you a little bit about this destination. Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. 
And all at once, once event, he follows her. As an ox to the slaughter. As a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. And as a bird rushes into the snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, again, some of us, we've been down paths. We've got the scars to show for it. Solomon says, you know, he doesn't realize it's going to cost him his life. Here's the danger. Is that the path that we're on, that we see as events, the path that we're on will always cost us more than we thought we'd pay and keep us longer than we wanted to stay. Isn't that true? Especially the older you are, you know this. You headed down a path, and you thought it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's just an event. It's just an isolate. It's just a small thing, and we minimize, minimize, minimize. But isn't this true? For many of us, we are still living in the relational turmoil of a path that we thought wasn't going to cost much and wasn't going to last long. For some of us, we're at church. You don't even know if you believe in God. You don't even know if you believe in Jesus. In fact, you're pretty sure you don't. But what you do know is what you were doing wasn't working, so you're willing to try anything. And I am so glad that you're here. This is an imperfect person talking to an imperfect group of people saying, we've all been in this where we minimize the cost and minimize the time. And then we sometimes look back a season later, for some of us a year later, for some of us a decade later, and thought, God, I was headed down a path. And I didn't think that path was going to cost very much. He ends... He kind of pulls back and says, let me tell you the, the, the idea and the principle. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. He says, let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her path. He says, you're on a path. We're all on paths. We're all, if, if, if we were to just be really honest for every single one of us, whether it's, a, whether it's a level of communication, whether it's a level of conflict resolution, let's be honest, man. For some of us, it's just a mental health path. There's some things that have happened to you, and maybe by well-intentioned people, maybe by not well-intentioned people. But we are on an emotional health path. We are on a spiritual path. We are on a financial path. We are on a communications path. We are on an intimacy path. We are on a conflict resolution path. We are on, in every single way, shape, and form, a purity path. And everyone who is married would tell everybody who's not married, marriage isn't the destination. Marriage is just where the path really starts. That's when you go from, from, from highway to interstate. Because it just multiplies the path that you're already on doesn't solve path problems. But, but here's the good thing. No matter what path you're on, no matter where along that trajectory you are, we have a God who restores and redeems. 
We have a God who, who can take whatever path you're on. Because I know some of the pushback to this is, well, I've just been headed down this path for so long, there ain't no going back at this point. I, um, if you go to church here often, you know this. But um, So my full-time job actually isn't at church. I'm bivocational. I'm an intentional bivocational. My family owns a meat company, Register Sausage. You should get some before you leave town. It's like tithing, okay? Just kidding. We do business, and, and we have our, some of our outsourced production is, is out of kind of the Tampa-ish area. So from time to time, I'm down in Tampa, or just we have some mentor people for church down in Orlando. From time to time, I'm, I'm kind of driving from that central Florida area. You know, you go up 75, where you're going up 75 with a turnpike, and it turns into um, 75. And, and as you're going north, right, you're looking for I-10. And as you're coming up to I-10, um, you pass this, this um, evil land called Gainesville, okay? So sometimes that kind of distracts you. And I don't know if you have done this, but I kind of get tunneled in, and sometimes it's not tunneled in on driving. Um, it's a conversation or a podcast or whatever it is. And some along the way, you know that there is some point a turn to I-10, and you go, and you just don't know if you've hit it yet. And then at some point, you're like pretty sure, I, I think I missed it, but you're really not real sure. And then at some point, now we have phones, so we can be a lot more sure. But at some point, and maybe you've made this mistake before, you're headed north, you're going up, you're going up, you're going up, and then you hit Georgia, right? And you're like, I passed it for sure. <laughs> now, now, again, we get this geographically. For some reason, we disconnect spiritually, we, we disconnect relationally. But come on, none of us would realize, like, let's say you just keep going, and man, you are like just out of it today, okay? And you hit Atlanta, right? You're trying to get to Tallahassee. Let's say you live in Tallahassee. None of us would get to Atlanta and be like, oh, well, well, hey. I guess we got to sell the house. Let's just move to Atlanta, you know? We're just, I hear Charleston's nice. Let's just keep going. I, you know, shoot, how far north can we go? Let's just sell. Let's just Airbnb it. Who cares? And we're going to settle wherever this thing takes us because we have gone so far down the interstate. It's not worth it. No, we would never say that. And the truth is, you are never too far relationally. Especially, especially if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, can we track with you this for a second? Isaiah talks about us and God. He says that he sits enthroned above the circles of the earth and the people are like grasshoppers. In other words, compared to God, we are so small, so infinitesimal. But God sent his son to die for grasshoppers like us because of his, his inexplicable love. Like, I don't know about you, but I have, I have two kids. One's about a year and a half and one's about three and a half. My youngest little boy, his name's Rhodes, Rhodey, Rodeo, R-H-O-D-E-S, because we're prophesying, you know, uh, intellect into him. Um, his grandpa calls him Highway, okay? So, like, I love him. Like, I'm crazy about my kids. And let's say there's a grasshopper in our house, like an annoying grasshopper, right? The kind that you're trying to go to sleep and you lived in the country and they're just, ee, and I'm like, I will literally put a bomb in our house to get rid of this grasshopper because it drives you nuts, right? How ridiculous would it be if I gave my only son to die for this rebellious grasshopper? Can you imagine that? In a God who sent his son, who loves us so much, he would send his son to die for us, not because we're so valuable, but because we're so sinful, and the inexplicable love of God is in our rebellion. He sent his son to die for him. Do you think that because we've made some relational mistakes, he can't, in his love, redeem that? If he could overcome the chasm between his holiness and our sinfulness, 
He can restore your marriage. And you might have gone down the wrong path. And all I want is half. I am on a path. I'm single and I'm on a path. I'm dating and I'm on a path. I'm engaged and I'm on a path. I am, you know, young and married. I'm on a path. I'm, you know, old and married, you know, or middle-aged and married or wherever you are, you know, and kids are gone and grandkids are gone. I am on a path. I just think that would kill so many marriages is that we're on paths that we never realize because we explain them as events. And because we're unaware, we don't allow God in to redeem and to restore and to correct. So here's, here's all I want you to think about today. What area or what areas of your life, of your marriage, of your relationships, what areas do you have intended destinations, but you're heading in a direction that unless God does something outrageous, you would never hit. I pray and I hope that God gives us the self-awareness to see the paths that we're on, gives us the wisdom to know how to get back, and then the most important part, which is the courage to do it. It's easy to understand, it's easy to know, but it's so much more difficult to do. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you sent your son to die for us. A group of rebellious grasshoppers. God, I pray that that inexplicable crazy love would invade our hearts, invade our lives. I pray that you would bring an awareness To each one of us that we're on a path. I pray that you would help us to just think, maybe even just categorically. Communication, conflict resolution, financial, intimacy, purity. In what ways are we intending a destination but heading on a path that's leaving us so far from that? Would you help us for some of us who have a difficult time believing that, God, you have the ability to restore. Would you simply help us to know that if you would send your son for us, so, God, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it? Would you give us the self-awareness to see it, the wisdom to know what to do with it, and the courage to actually do it? I pray that you would make this group of people of followers of yours, Jesus, into a group of people who defies the statistical norms and has extraordinary marriage that people would see us and see you through us, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.